Welcome to the 34 Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. Hello and welcome to the 34 Circe Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. This is Sean Marlinukum here with, as always... Don Sam Alden. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, everyone. And we have yeah. our special recurring guest. I'm sorry, I stepped on Indeed. you, Don. You go I ahead. Was, I was going to say the same thing. Great minds think alike. We have our fabulous recurring guest, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. Great to be back with both of you. Hey, Absolutely. Gary. So today is in praise of the goddess, a, a regular series that we're doing. And the goddess that we are praising today is Hera. So without further ado, Gary, would you let us know what you think the big idea, <laughs> big idea is with Hera? Oh, that she was continually pissed off at her husband, the king of the gods. Okay, well, let's jump right in with that. Dawn, I believe you're going to have some thoughts on our beloved Hera as well. Yeah. So why don't uh, we start well, with that? Why was she... Actually, what I... Go ahead, please, go ahead. What I'd love to do is I'd love to start with the Homeric version of Hera, which is, you know, of course, Gary's specialty. I'd love to start there because I'd love to hear that sort of... Um, patriarchal take on her that uh that uh, homer wrote about and then i'd like to um i'd like to sort of start to unravel that and maybe uh see where that came from and give a feminist spin on her so gary if you wouldn't mind starting us off um i would love that are, are feminist spins allowed here Isn't, didn't they <laughs> ban that recently Okay. It's become obsolete in our post post patriarchal world, right? Isn't that sure, true? Sure, that's exactly what's happened. Of course. <laughs> okay, well, I'll give the chauvinistic patriarchal view here. Go um, for it. Go for it. But uh, yes, in the Iliad, uh, Homer presents Hera. She's the queen of the gods. In other words, she's married to Zeus, the king of the gods. Um. But uh, she's also uh, the goddess of marriage, and uh, she has uh, uh, other other attributes as, as well. Um, but um, she's really kind of downplayed, which is what you would expect in a patriarchal, you know, uh, system. Um, so when you say she uh, she's angry at Zeus often, why is that? What has Zeus done to incur her wrath? Uh, well, just let me, I just want to back up and say that uh, she, she was the uh, daughter of Cronos uh, um, and uh, Rhea, you know, the 
uh, you know, Earth goddess, Earth, or, you know, Mother Earth. Um, <clears throat> she was not only sister to Zeus, they were twins. They were born at the same time. Oh, wow. That's very interesting. Okay. Yeah. What significance did twins have for the Greeks? Why was there, or was there any particular significance? Uh, I haven't found any, but it, it must be something. They had significance to everything, you know? Yeah, yeah Apollo was, and Artemis, right? Yeah, it wasn't uncommon because uh, Apollo and Artemis were twins and Ares and Eris were twins. So so Hera, the name Hera, actually, according to uh, Robert Graves, and I borrow a lot of what I have to say from him in his two-volume encyclopedic work, The Greek Myths, um, Hera's name means protect, protectress, protectress. And she had a daughter called Elithia, who helped women in childbirth, and uh, therefore she was related to that, helping women in childbirth. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't Artemis also, didn't they call upon yeah, Artemis? Yeah, well? yeah, they kind of overlapped with that, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, now, uh, one thing, in, you know, according to uh, Robert Graves, that she was equal, she wasn't equal to Zeus, and anything but one thing, and that is she could bestow the gift of prophecy on anyone she chose to. Mm, interesting. So that was interesting, because that it kind of overlaps with Apollo. You know, it's basically the god of prophecy. Um, and um, so she, she rode around in a flaming chariot pulled by golden uh, steeds. So that's kind of neat. And... Uh, and then all the gods have emblems, you know, certain things that the ancient Greeks would uh, depict them with to uh, identify them. And hers was a crown and a scepter. What was Zeus uh, in comparison? So hers was a crown and a scepter. Did the scepter also represent Zeus as well? No, it was a, it was a scepter for the queen. He had, okay. a, he had a separate scepter. Mm-hmm. And then he carried the lightning bolt. You know, that was his weapon, the lightning bolt. Mm-hmm. So she was the, you know, Kronos was the king of the Titans. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rhea was, you know, the Mother Earth. She was a Titan. There were 24 Titans. And, and basically they were gigantic in size compared to, the, you know, the Zeus and his other gods. Um. So she's basically depicted that way. Um, but the thing is, uh, there's all sorts of stories about her, you know, um, that Hera, when Hera gave birth to her, uh, excuse me, Hera gave birth to Python. You know, we, we call certain snakes pythons. Right, yeah. Well, there was a huge snake, the original one, uh, called Python, and she gave birth to him parthenogenically. Um, right. Uh, Which, of course, means without the aid of a man. Yes, and he and she did so to spite Zeus. Um, and then she sent the great serpent to persecute Leto because Zeus had an affair with Leto. And uh, and uh, and. Apollo helped her to kill it. But, uh, and then I think, uh, you know, uh, Homer mentions that uh, 
Hera also gave birth to Hephaestus. Hephaestus was the god of of uh, the arts. You know, he created jewelry for the goddesses. He created palaces for the gods and goddesses. Created the armor for Achilles, the great armor for Achilles and the Iliad, stuff like that. But when uh, she gave birth to him, and th this is, shows you she had a wild temperament, apparently. Uh, he was ugly. And he was weakly, you know, at, at birth. So uh, this is kind of quoting Robert Graves. To rid herself of the embarrassment of, of this offspring, she heaved him out of Olympus and into the sea. And But he was... Uh, rescued by Thetis, who became the mother of uh, Achilles, by the way. Thetis being a sea goddess. Um, and um, uh, later she relented and allowed Hephaestus to return to Olympus. And then he became a real supporter of her, and he reproached Zeus because Zeus got upset with Hera because she had the gods laugh at him because he was having all these extramarital affairs. And he hung her up in the sky, you know, and, and hung the anvils or great weights from her feet and tortured her and stuff like that uh, as punishment. And uh, so uh, Hephaestus reproached Zeus for doing that. And so Zeus in revenge, he's kind of like the I hate to say it, the Donald Trump of the, of the Greek pantheon, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he, he, Zeus got upset, and he's always, you know, vengeful and stuff like that. So he threw Hephaestus out of Olympus again. This time he landed on an island, broke both of his legs, and so he became a crippled. And so he was referred to as a lame god after that. And I think it's interesting that the Greeks in their pantheon had, uh, you know, a physically challenged uh, God. Yeah. And, uh, but, um, uh, anyhow, Don, why don't you jump in here? I got more on, on Hera, but uh, we ought to bury this a bit. Okay. Um, well, the thing that I want to start with is Hera's association with the cow, because um, that was her she was associated with that animal and she was often referred to Gary. I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but as cow eyed Hera. Yes. Yeah. That was, um, that was one of the, one of the phrases used to describe associated with her, um, even in, uh, in the Iliad. Yeah. So, um, I just wanted to lay a little background down here about how important cows were cattle in general but specifically cows um to human development it was one of the first um it was one of the animals that was painted uh in europe in uh you know found in ancient cave paintings more than seventeen thousand years ago um, so people were painting bison and wild cattle at that time before they were domesticated for many years. And we say people, but uh, there is evidence based on the size of the handprints that these first figurative artists may have been women or were women. Oh, there's the police coming to get me for my... For daring to claim that women were the first figurative artists. No wonder they're coming towards you now. 
right? <laughs> so, um, you know, in the in the Hall of Bulls, um, painted on the walls of the caves in France, um, he's there's a there's a bull that's seventeen feet long. Yeah, I've, I've so, seen oh, it. Yeah, the oh, you've seen it in person. Yeah, it was. Oh, it, how amazing! It, it's at uh, Lascaux Cave. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's a it's a wild cow. It's before they're domesticated. Yes, yes. And yeah. uh, and and the the term for these wild cows is aurochs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, inter interestingly, um, you know, I did a lot of work in Switzerland, and um, at one point, I just got this idea: I want to go see Lasco Cave because it's the most famous cave painting site in the world. Mm -hmm. And the paintings are truly fantastic in, in the cave. It's about 15,000 years old. Yeah not, the, yeah. not the oldest one, but the most famous one. Right. And well, I took that, that bull uh, at 17 feet long is the largest animal discovered so far in yeah. cave art. So clearly, you know, these, uh, these um, wild cattle had uh, an incredible importance yes. to ancient peoples. Um and uh, the domesticated version, even more so. So the latest evidence says that um, cattle were domesticated about 10,000 years ago. Yeah, Originally, right. it was thought 6,000, and then they thought, no, 8,000. And now they're thinking 10,000 uh, cattle were, de excuse me, bleh, were domesticated from, um, from as few as possibly 80 wild oxen in southeast Turkey. So Anatolia. That's, that's true. Yeah, it would make great sense for a lot of the stuff we've talked about for the yep. past yep. few weeks. And the yeah, that, that date's been re, re, revised because I used to um, uh, teach at UCLA, you know, and I used to teach this. And uh, at the time I was teaching back in the 90s, you know, the 7,000, 8,000 date was was thought to be the case, but now it's been pushed back, which is great. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the thing about cattle is not only could they be used for food, right, but, um, and their milk for, um, you know, if it was a, a, a cow as opposed to a bull, you could actually double the calories that you could get from one animal because you were also drinking their milk. Plus, you could use their hides for leather, which was clothing and uh, weaponry and implements. And also you could use them for labor. You were able to do so much more with cows pulling your plow or cows pulling your carts than you were before when people had to do these jobs. So they were incredibly important to... Um, to the development of civilization because they enabled one human being to do so much more um, with less effort, right? Yes. Um, they became so important to the ancient Egyptians that many of the Egyptian gods were considered to have a form of cattle, most notably Hathor. Right. Hathor was often depicted as a cow or with a cow's head or with a cow's horns. And remember that the female cows also had horns. So if you see horns, it is not a marker automatically that it is a bull. 
it's um, it could be a cow as well. And Hathor was one of the favorite gods of the Egyptians. In fact, the most common female name that girls were given uh, was Hathor. And uh, they've even found uh, cattle mummified in uh, in spiritual practices of worshiping Hathor. And she also personified the principles of love, beauty, music, dance, motherhood, and joy. Yeah, I just um, want to say, too, that um, Robert Graves mentions, you know, that the altars of the of the ancient world there had uh, these projections at the corners they called horns, the horns mm -hmm. of the altar. And he says that that reflects Terra because wow. of her association with cows. Right. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so moving forward with cows and their importance, um, the, uh, other cultures also valued them. Um, in uh, Zor Zoroastrianism, that's a heck of a word to say. Yes, it um, is. Yeah, the, the cows were also honored. In fact, the term Geush Urva means the spirit of the cow, literally, but it was meant to convey the soul of the earth. Um. In Norse mythology, a primeval cow suckled the ancestor of the frost giants, Ymir, and licked Odin's grandfather, Buri, out of the ice. <laughs> so <laughs> rescued him from freezing, I guess. Um, and cattle were essential. So moving now finally to the Greeks, cattle were essential to Greek communal life. Um, through religious sacrifice and, of course, diet and leather goods and um, carrying burdens and all that sort of thing. Uh, cattle were also very common in mythology. Uh, both gods and heroes stole cattle, expected sacrifices of cattle, and punished those who failed to provide them. Cattle became a key element in Greek thought and behavior. Uh, I'm reading now an excerpt from Cattle of the Sun, uh, Cows and Culture in the World of the Ancient Greeks by Jeremy McInery. And um, cows, uh, they became a Greek, uh, uh, a key element in Greek thought and behavior. And the Greeks exploited the symbolic value of cattle as a way of structuring social and economic relations. They were, um, they were, uh, nurtured, bred, killed, and eaten as part of Greek life, and they became capital to be exchanged. So sort of the first um, standard of, uh, of capital and barter were cows. So, you know, this is worth one cow, essentially. And when they moved to actually printing coins, the first coins had a cow on the back of them. So they became, uh, the coins became sort of a stand-in for cows in terms of exchanging goods and money. Um, and uh, the English word pecuniary derives from the word pecus, which is cattle. Well, here is... So, so Hera in that sense, are you, are you linking the idea that Hera being linked to cattle 
made her more central than she seems now? Not only central, but essentially Hera being linked to cattle means she is linked to the very thing that enabled ancient peoples to survive. So she is not, she's essential Mm -hmm. to the preservation of life. Right. Well, if we look at that, if you're, if, if you take it from that standpoint, let's contrast that Gary with what the Hera that, Homer and the later Greeks, how she is conveyed the thing I'd asked you earlier, what is the aspect of her that she is, why does she have the aspect of being this, you know, continually irritated or irritable person in the context? What is it that makes her that way? Why is she portrayed that way? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's, it's just interesting that originally I think Hera was, you know, before the invasion of the Mycenaeans, so to speak, uh, she was a major goddess. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think this was part of a way of, uh, you know, demoting her, you know, to have all these, you know, that she's constantly upset about all these uh, affairs and stuff like this, you know. How is she a major goddess? Tell me a little more about that. Um, well, the, just in a general sense, you know, well, uh, Robert Graves even said that she was a, a war goddess at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then she had these, uh, you know, uh, possessions or powers, you know, like she possessed the, the four winds, you know, like, uh, the Boreas and North wind and Zephyrus and so on. And uh, she gave those to Aeolus. Uh, and, you know, Aeolus is in the Odyssey, the keeper mm-hmm. of the winds. Mm-hmm. He gives Odysseus a bag of winds and try to help him get home. And um, So Odysseus was a wind bag. You might say. And, uh, okay. And, and then, uh, you know, the reference to the book you mentioned, Don, um, you know, uh, the cattle of the, of the sun. Mm-hmm. I believe that's a reference to the Odyssey because in the Odyssey, the sun god Helios, you know, oftentimes people say that Apollo was the god of the sun. He wasn't the god of the sun. He was god of light, a difference. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But Helios was the god of the sun, and he had an island, and on the island he had a sacred herd of cattle, cows. And right. so Odysseus and his men go to the island and... He's already told, you know, do not kill these cattle. You're going to incur the wrath of the god and so on. But his men are hungry. And Odysseus, who apparently had narcolepsy, uh, falls asleep all the time. He fell asleep. His men kill the cows. And then the ghost of the cows go around and, you know, scare them and so on. And then uh, Helios goes to Zeus to try to destroy Odysseus and his men and stuff like that. So it's quite an episode. Yeah. 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 Helios, by the way, is also the father of our patron goddess, Circe. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Gary points out that in one myth, um, Hera was the the daughter of Rhea and Kronos, Rhea being the earth and Kronos being time. 
So it's interesting that she is the daughter of flesh and time. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the uh, interesting things about Hera is that she is worshipped in three phases. She is worshipped as maiden, mother, and crone. And that every year her statue uh, in the spring was taken to a sacred spring and um, uh, bathed in the waters. And it was a symbolic renewal. Now, now another aspect of uh, Hera um, is that she was also worshipped early on as a moon goddess. And this is mentioned by Pausanias, you know, a historian for the Greeks. Um, and, uh, and get this, Robert um, Grace says, the Olympic Games originated as a foot race run by girls for the privilege of becoming a priestess of the moon goddess Hera. Well, it was interesting because I put, I, I looked up, uh, was working on something else with ancient sports and the Horean Games or Horean Games uh, was the female equivalent of the Olympic Games. For yeah, women, I think right? it was. And, and no. Men were not allowed in, I mean, women were not allowed in the Olympic, but you have this game that existed before. And so that's very interesting. And, well, the, what, and in, in recognition of Hera's, um, you know, three phases, uh, there were three categories of age in the Heria. So women would compete either as maidens, as mature women, or as crones. And the three winners in each of the age categories were honored equally. They received olive crowns and um, they, and part of the cow that had the cow again, that had been sacrificed to Hera at the opening of the games. And they were allowed to have statues in their image placed in Hera's temple. So a great honor. They ran with their hair down, wearing short tunics cut above the knee. Oh. So not naked. <laughs> no, which is interesting because one, that is pretty... For the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, pretty provocative, and of course, the men were at were expected to compete naked. Yeah, they did. They were events, so they had, they had no problem with it whatsoever. But for the women, of course, they had them covered. We'll leave that yeah, yeah. aside. But the, even the fact that they had them not quite as covered as they were, it says something. Yeah. So, what of I course, too, I mean, in sports, it's kind of hard to run in those long Greek. Well, and as a woman who is um, rather well endowed. I would not like to run naked because I'd hit myself in the face. Oh, so wow. I would okay. prefer to have some sort of tunic on that would, um, <laughs> some sort of tunic on that would help to um, contain my natural attributes, shall I say? Understood. <laughs> Indeed. Um, the interesting thing is that the women, the the games were conducted by a group of married women called the Sixteen. Oh, that's and, interesting. Yeah, and they, they dedicated a robe that they had woven for the goddess on this same occasion. Um, so these 16 women were chosen, one from each of the 16 ancient cities, to constitute a council, and they 
ran the games. So there was this sort of counseling body called the 16. Hmm. It's a great, it's, it's, and there, there was a number for you again, Gary, another number to look into for its sacred meaning, the <laughs> sacred numbers of your, that you explore. But the 16, it sounds, that sounds really uh, just an amazing concept or an image. And just these games are an incredible thought of, you know, you can hear the echoes of who Hera really was to the early, let's say the women of Crete or the other early Greeks. That would have been very interesting to if we'd have a little bit more about her. Well, then, uh, and also Hera is a uh, goddess of death. You know, she was at one point um, before Persephone became the the wife of Hades, you know. Um, And um, so Hera placed one of the, there was this uh, creature called Argus. It had 100 eyes in Greek mythology. And Herod placed one of his eyes on the peacock's tail. That's how we get those eyes on the peacock's tail. Right, Ooh. yeah. And so the peacock became sacred to Hera. Uh, I remember... Well, uh, the pomegranate also was one of her, was originally one of her emblems. Yeah, well, um, I just, I, it is. I just want to follow on here. That, yeah, go um, ahead. That, uh, you know, the pear, the pear tree also became sacred because it has a white blossom that to the Greeks symbolized death. Symbolized what? Death. Ah, okay. And, uh, for example, there was a temple of a harem called the Herarium at, at Mycenae, you know, where Agamemnon ruled and led the Greeks against the Trojans. But in, anyhow, the, um, the Herarium was made of pear wood at Mycenae, which is in, in honor of that, you know. Interesting. So in other words, he had other aspects early on that were kind of, uh, you know, lost as time went by and the uh, Mycenaeans you know, took over and, and uh, made it more male dominated. Yeah. Yeah, she was, um, uh, the cuckoo was also um, one of her emblems. And they say that the cuckoo represents spring and the pomegranate autumn or birth and death. And when it, one of the myths about Zeus and Hera um, is that the way that Zeus sort of got into her good graces is that he pretended to be a bedraggled and weary cuckoo and, uh, and he flew into and sort of fell into her lap. And because she loved the cuckoos, she, you know, uh, held him to, held the bird to her to warm it and to heal it. And uh, that then he transformed back into Zeus and was like, hey, baby. Um, yeah, well, so they, they made it and, and it's, by our standards today, that's incest, you know, because they were brother and sister. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of them, one of the myths says that at that time, you know, that when he transformed back into Zeus, that then um, essentially he raped her. Um, But another myth says that at that point, when he transformed back into Zeus, she repulsed him 
and then he had to woo her. Uh, in some in some myths, they say that he uh, courted her for three hundred years before she finally uh, agreed to marry him. Well, talk about hard to get. Yeah, yeah. Well, she didn't want to marry him, um, and you know, of course. If you put this in the context of uh, of something Sean and I have discussed before, that originally it's a goddess, and then a male god arrives as the goddess's consort, and then they are transformed into a married couple, and then it becomes the wife that is the consort to the god as patriarchy takes over. So if you look at that model in relation to Hera, originally she was single. Um, she was uh, had no children and therefore she was considered quote unquote virginal. Um, but when the patriarchal tribes uh, descended into Greece and brought their sky god with them, um, that this uh, sort of courtship was a representation of a forging of a marriage between their two deities because Hera's status in society pre-patriarchy um, was so strong that they had, to, they had to do this courtship in order to justify why Hera became Zeus's wife. Um, and then of course, as time went on, she, uh, she was disempowered further by making her more and more into this jealous and petulant wife who just, whose sole purpose was to hound Zeus and to punish his, um, unwilling often lovers. I mean, it's really interesting that Zeus in all of the myths of Zeus seducing women, uh, both mortals and goddesses, that the myths predominantly show him having to do it by subterfuge, that he never, you know, just sort of showed up and said, hey, I'm Zeus, you want to get it on? Well, one, had... of the, one of those um, affairs he had uh, produced Dionysus, the, the god of wine, you know, and partying, basically. Yep. And uh, Hera was so upset with that that she had the titans, you know, those giants, attack, uh -huh. attack the newborn Dionysus, and they tore him to pieces, into pieces, and then they put him in a cauldron and boiled him, you know. Wow. Uh, and, um, but his grandmother, Rhea, you know, the earth goddess, Revived him to life and restored him, uh, you know, to Olympus. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, when that happened, when she restored him, the pomegranate tree grew up there. Ah. It grew up on a spot, and pomegranates uh, symbolize death and the promise of resurrection. There and, we uh, go. Yeah. So anyhow, that's how the pomegranates got associated with that. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it is interesting that um, that he he seemed to not just sort of show up like Apollo did. You know, Apollo had a few affairs and 
you know, he would just show up and be like, hey, baby, I'm Apollo, god of light. What do you think? You know, and he, he tended to have more willing lovers, whereas Zeus would disguise himself, yes. kidnap women, and right. then rape them, essentially. Um, and interesting that it's the father of the gods who does that. The head, the the great exemplar of the gods, <laughs> yeah. behaves yeah. like that. So. Yeah. Well, and, you know, that's, you know, that's like and, the legend of the uh, rape of Europa, you know? Exactly, exactly. That, you know, he, he, he got her to, you know, to ride this bull, and then the bull takes off, and, you know, then she's... Uh, both literally and figuratively screwed. Yeah, and the bull was Zeus. He transformed right. himself into the bull. Yeah. Yep. But it is interesting that, you know, in some of the uh, past episodes where we've talked to Vicky and talked about the Yamnaya and the Indo-Europeans, that this was their deal, that they would, you know, come come to these matriarchal societies, they would steal their gold, and they would steal their women, and it would be uh, either a forced marriage or um, or rape, and uh, and that Zeus's seductions, quote unquote, as we have called them, very much followed this same model. Um, it is said that that uh, to sort of strengthen that that symbolism. It is said that um, Hera was born on Samos, on the Isle of Samos, which is, of course, right off the coast of Anatolia. Mm-hmm. And um, that she has a, a great temple at Argos, uh, is where the Mycenaeans made a home for her. And that um, was one of her favorite cities, by the way. Argos. Yeah, but she was also long remembered on the Isle of Samos, on the Isle of Lesbos, where she birthed her son Hephaestus. And um, she is also quite popular in Crete. Um, not surprising. Yeah, not surprising. Um, that uh, as, you know, the 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 cow being sacred to her in um, I believe it's in Argos. There is a, a hammered silver and uh, boven head, a cow head with hammered of hammered silver and has golden horns and uh, a rosette shines on its forehead. And in Cretan Nossos, there are holy heifers and there, um, on their foreheads, are uh, hammered images of the double axe. So, you know, again, there is a connection there to the Holy Mother worship of, um, of the ancient matriarchal societies and the Amazons. Right, the Amazons, the double axe, the labrus, was their, right. their famous was symbols. Their symbol, indeed. Um, she had a tree of golden apples. That yeah, was, that was from the uh, Garden of the Hesperides. Uh, right, yeah. And, and it was uh, that golden yeah. apple that Eris, her daughter, one of the golden apples from her tree that she rolled into um, the, the Greeks that eventually led to the Judgment of Paris and the Trojan War. Yeah, that was that was a like a party the gods had on Olympus, uh, 
and uh, so you had the three goddesses, and and Eris was not invited to the party, so she was upset. So she shows up and throws that apple. They call it the apple of discord, a uh, wow. golden apple from the Garden of Hesperides of Hera, um, and uh, and the three goddesses ask Zeus to say which one is the most beautiful, and he begs the question and tells them they got to go see this young cowboy on Mount Ida called Paris, you know, that we talked about before to make the famous judgment of Paris, where they force him to judge which is the most beautiful. Exactly. So, so what would it, I, sorry, go ahead, Don. Yeah, so I'm going to read one last quote um, that is uh, related to this idea of Hera being a vestige of the the great mother goddess of the matriarchal societies that was slowly sort of picked away at as patriarchal society took over and uh, you know relegated her to this role of the jealous wife this is a quote from a book called ancient mirrors of womanhood which is by merlin stone and she says there are many ways to make a goddess seem less than she might be Yet there are few who did not understand what marriage meant to an Achaean, Achaean who set out to conquer many lands that had long known the worship of the mother. To those who questioned the appearance of a father god rather than a delicate young consort, Achaeans promised the fidelity of their father god of thunderbolts to the long-beloved mother in each place that she dwelled. Thus was Zeus pledged in marriage or later assigned a seducing role to many women's names of power. And in this way, the conquering Achaeans gathered up the names of Alcmene, Aegina, and Anaxthea, of Callisto, Calice, and Hesione, of Danae, Demeter, and Dione, of Metis, Maya, and Mera, of Leda, Leto, and Semele, of Euronomi, Eurmedusa, and Europa, of Themis, Tegeti, and Persephone, and of Io, even his own mother, Rhea. For these are but some of the women with whom Achaeans say that Zeus had had his way, as they thought it doubly useful to paint an image of ancient Hera as fraught with petty jealousy. So the what um, Merlin Stone is proposing in this is that the all those myths of... Um, Zeus seducing all of these goddesses and beautiful, notable women was actually a, a oral tradition way of the, recounting the history of how the patriarchal god and the people of the sky god had moved into these areas where uh a mother goddess was worshipped and had slowly taken them over and reduced the mother goddess to uh, a, um, uh, a lesser position, a, 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 a position of a woman who was victimized by their all-powerful god. That is a I, great, that, yeah, I think that is a great. I thought that was a really interesting idea. Well, why don't we, as we come to the end of this particular episode, Gary, what are your thoughts on that, on Hera? I, I think the way we would always 
do this, and I'd like to continue with that, is the one more thing. What's the one more thing that you'd like our listeners to know about Hera? What would you like them to take away with them? Well, I think I think what this discussion has indicated is Hera was uh, originally something much more than she turned out to be in later Greek uh, religion. And uh, she... Um, was probably a, a very great goddess on her own that was demoted, you know, to be subservient to Zeus, you know, which indicates the patriarchal, you know, takeover of Greece at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yet, you know, given all these different aspects of her, the goddess of death and uh, so on, uh, goddess of the moon, I mean, the, the ancients had much more complex view of her and uh, a very much more interesting one, I would say. Mm -hmm. Very nice. And how about you, Dawn? Yeah. I mean, I I think, I think, uh, Mm -hmm. I think Gary really summed it up beautifully there that, uh, that, you know, that, that this sort of process we see reflected over and over in the ancient world as, as lands were, um forcibly converted from you know this ancient mother worship to the worship of a patriarchal sky god that the mythology needed to prove uh to provide sort of an example for the people of that process uh to legitimize it and also to in many ways make it seem inevitable and that we are still caught in that mindset. Because what do we remember of Hera? We remember her as a jealous, spiteful wife mm-hmm. who punished other women for her husband's transgressions. And that is not where she came from. That's right. Really nicely put. I'd like us to just end right there because I think that's a great, great way to, to, to tie things up. Let me thank, of course, um, Gary for joining us as always, Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. It was wonderful to have your insight as usual. And of course, Dawn Sam Alden, who always gives us these uh, really wonderful takes on what we're looking at from this standpoint of these, the ancient matriarchies and um, a different viewpoint. So thank you, Dawn. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for uh, once again being our our consummate host and uh, and keeping the conversation going. You are welcome, and thank you all for listening. And this has been the Thirty Four Circe Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. In praise of the goddess, today we were talking about Hera. Thanks again. Take care and blessed be.